Hey, welcome to another episode of More Than Bread, number 245 to be exact. And we've turned the corner into chapter four of Colossians. You might have been wondering if we were ever going to turn the page from chapter three to chapter four. Well, here we are. And while it's not the only theme in chapter four, one of the themes we will definitely hit in this episode and the next is a topic of prayer. While your spiritual practices may look different from my spiritual practices, two things that each and every one of us need with some consistency is time in the Word, in the Bible, and Scriptures. That's what More Than Bread is all about, time in the Word and time in prayer. Both are vital. Both are both are really intimately tied to each other. On occasion, someone will ask me, what matters more, prayer or the Word? Which is more important to the life of our soul, to a life that thrives, prayer or reading the Bible? And I'll say it's a lot like breathing. What matters more, breathing in or breathing out? <laughs> well, it all depends on which one comes next, right? We need both. This is the rhythm of life. It begins when we breathe in his words, breathe in the word and breathe out prayer. Soak your soul in the word and then lift up your heart to God in prayer. This might be the most important rhythm of life. It for sure is the most important spiritual rhythm of life. Prayer gets all the press when it comes to God at work, but it always begins with listening. We breathe in the word of God and we breathe out prayer. That's how it works. Eugene Peterson called prayer the second word. Prayer is meant to be our response to God's words. Without the word, the word of God, prayer becomes a a one-sided conversation. We We need both. So let me pause there and let's listen to God by his spirit through his word. I'm reading Colossians chapter four, verses one through six from the New International Version. And and actually, while I will read verse one, verse one really goes with the end of chapter three. The the chapter headings and the the breaks and the the words, that's not not, uh, inspired, right? So really, Verse 1 goes back with chapter 3. So our focus in this episode will be on verses 2 through 6. But here it goes. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. That's what goes with chapter 3. Here's the real beginning of chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, Calvary, we talk more than a bit about being a front yard missionary. And and Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 is Paul's call to be a front yard missionary. Devote yourself to prayer. Pray that you have an opportunity to to, to speak the message of, of Christ, to proclaim the mystery of Jesus. Be wise in how you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. All of this is the the work of a missionary. Now, when I say the word missionary, what comes to your mind? I I Googled the word, and except for one entry, I think, which talked about something altogether different, it was was all about religious missionaries. If you grew up in the church I grew up in, you're probably thinking stuff like, well, they leave home, they sacrifice, they have to learn a different language and wear strange clothes and eat disgusting food and tell people about Jesus. 
one of my childhood heroes was Theda Krieger. She was the first missionary I knew, a, a woman from Argentina who worked in Argentina with the children of Argentina. And in our little church of 75 people in Coleman, South Dakota, she was our main missionary. And and I remember experiencing just a little bit of awe when she would visit us. And, and our church missionaries were, they were like the top echelon of Christians. To be a missionary was was the highest calling a Christian could receive. There were Christians here, and then a step up were pastors, and then above them were missionaries. Missionaries were the elite, the Navy SEALs of the Christian missionary and mission. And I'll tell you right now, she was a missionary who made a difference. Back in 1997, I had the opportunity to reconnect with her when I went to Argentina to explore the work that God was doing through prayer evangelism. And and since then, I've dug into a bit of her history. You know, well over 200 churches were started through her ministry, and she shared the gospel with thousands and thousands of children. In fact, one of those young children was a man named Louis Palau. You may have heard that name. He, he went on to share the gospel with millions more people. And Louis said this about Theta. He said, she walked in the Spirit was filled with joy and humility, and she invested herself in my life and my family. Sometimes, he said, I still wake up at night and hear her voice. You've got to reach more children. Theta died uh, about a decade ago, 2011. She was 102 years old, and, and she made an impact that I can only hope to match. She was a missionary. But you know, here's the Here's the interesting thing about Theta. Most of her ministry, most of her mission took place in her neighborhood or or someone else's. She would gather kids in her yard. She would sit in someone's kitchen, not not big crusades like Billy Graham, not, not within the structure of a huge church, not by supernatural miraculous encounters, but just moments of what we might call ordinary awe. She never really left home. She didn't need to learn a different language. She just loved those around her so well that they met Jesus in her. She was a front yard missionary. Whole different story. If you ever go to Nantucket Island, there's a little museum there devoted to a volunteer organization that was formed over 300 years ago. I've shared this story before, but it's such a great metaphor. In, In those days, travel by sea was extremely dangerous Atlantic storms combined with the rocky coast of Massachusetts led to many lives lost, and and oftentimes no more than a mile or even less from land. So there's a group of people who lived on Nantucket who couldn't bear the thought of all these people lost at sea, so they they went into the life-saving business. They banded together to form what was originally called the Humane Society. It wasn't for animals. It was a rescue mission for people. They built these little huts all along the shore. And and if you go to the museum, you can see one of the original huts. Each hut contained boats and rescue equipment. They were sometimes called huts of refuge. (laughs) Huts of refuge. People were posted in these huts 24-7, watching the sea, looking for boats caught in a storm. And any time a ship went down, people would go out. They'd risk themselves to save every life they could. They gave all they had to save others. They, They were all volunteers. They didn't do it for money or recognition. They simply valued people, especially people in need of life. To remind themselves of the value of people in need of rescue, they adopted a motto, you have to go out but you don't have to come back. 
(laughs) In other words, the mission is more important than your comfort. It takes precedence over your life. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. (laughs) As far as slogans go, not really a great marketing ploy, right? A little different than because you're worth it, or membership has its privileges, or come to Jesus for a nice, safe, happy valley life. But but actually, this mission stirred the passions of people, and huts of refuge formed up and down the coast. The, the museum contains fascinating stories of those who risked everything to save people in need. They were in the life-saving business. See, I wonder when Jesus said, love your neighbors like you love yourself, if he wasn't just saying, your house is not just your home, it's a hut of refuge. How would that change your home if you lived in a hut of refuge? What if Jesus has called your family to be a family of missionaries? I mean, isn't this what Jesus was saying to his disciples in John 20? It comes right after his death and resurrection. He shows up to commission his followers and and give them their marching orders. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side where the nail holes were, the spear hole. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so, in the same way I'm sending you. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says the same thing. Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Do you you understand what that means? Just like Jesus had a mission, you have a mission. If you're listening to my voice, if you're a Christ follower, you have a mission. In fact, say that to yourself right now. I have a mission. I have a mission. (laughs) Me. Christ has given me a mission. And, And what is your mission in life? Jesus said, as the Father sent me. Likewise, in the same manner, in the same way, for the same purpose, I am sending you. In other words, his mission to me is his model for me. His mission forms our mission. What is our mission in life? If we're Christ followers, we should study his mission to understand our mission. For example, in describing his own life mission, Jesus said things like, I came to serve, not to be served. I came for the sick, not the healthy. I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Kurt Warner, a former quarterback for the St. Louis Rams, is a very, uh, very born-again Christian athlete. Like, Dave Dravecki and Tim Tebow, he sometimes annoyed sports writers with frequent references to Christ. One time a sports writer complained to Warner, why why can't you Christians shut up about your religion for two minutes? Why do you have to hit everybody over the head with it? And, And Warner gave a very poignant answer. He said, look, to me it's like this. I'm invited to a party at someone's house, and it's fantastic. The host is a great guy, such a friend, such an inspiration. The party's good. The food's good. Music is good. The friendships are good. I'm having the time of my life. And meanwhile, my teammates are outside someplace in the darkness, lonely, discouraged, wrapped up in their problems. What kind of a teammate would I be, he said? What kind of a friend would I be if I didn't at least go to the front door and shout out to them, you guys, This party is unbelievable. Come check it out. See, this is good news. (laughs) 
And, and I know what some of us are thinking, if it's good news, why is it so stinking hard? Why is it so easy to find anything else to do other than loving my neighbors? Why is why, why am I so hesitant to talk to others about Jesus? If it's good news, why do people get angry and offended so easily? Well, I, I would say, at least in part, it's hard because there's more to life than what I can see. That's been one of the themes of Colossians, right? There's more than what I can see. Set your mind on things above. There's more going on in your neighborhood than you can see. And one of the things that you can't see that is very real and very present is that there's a battle. There's a spiritual battle. And that's why missionaries pray. Paul says in Colossians 4 to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, what does it mean to devote yourself to something or someone? Well, to be devoted is to be zealous, loyal, dedicated, consecrated, focused, passionately persistent. Are we passionately persistent in prayer? Or do we distract ourselves with less important things? We we live in a culture that does not value passionate persistence. In fact, most of us like to live with the illusion that we're good multitaskers. Texting while driving, I can do that. Watching TV and studying actually helps me. Checking email while listening to a friend, no problem. According to a team of researchers at Stanford University, multitasking causes big problems. Researchers originally set out to discover what it was that gave multitaskers their special ability to focus, and instead they discovered there is no special ability to focus. So multitaskers, they they found, were so easily distracted that they were, across the board, less productive. Listen, you cannot multitask your heart. You'll forever be distracted. Actually, when Paul calls us to be devoted to prayer, you understand he's he's calling for an all-in devotion to Jesus. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. All-in. The people who were part of the early church were not fans. They were passionately persistent followers. So we, we got to ask ourselves, am, am I a fan or a follower? You, you can be a fan of Jesus from a distance and still be the one in control. Leave the game when you want. Turn the channel if the game isn't going the way you hoped. I mean, fans buy into the myth that if I walk with Jesus, everything is going to be great. Do you ever stop to think that you're following a broke, homeless guy who was betrayed by a friend and tortured on a cross? But when we move from fans to followers, we, we find that Jesus is worth it all. And although he won't do everything a fan would want him to do, he will write stories in your life that fill you with awe. See, here's the deal. I didn't really get off on a tangent. I, I simply feel like Jesus wants us to know that fans of Jesus will never be devoted to prayer. But followers of Jesus, it's, it's almost like you just can't help it. And, and I just I wonder if many of us, myself included, might want to find a quiet place sometime in the next 24 hours and, and get down on our knees in front of Jesus and tell him how sorry we are that we've settled for being a fan that we haven't been devoted to prayer, that we haven't been devoted to him, that we we haven't been all in. And, and what we really want, God, would you give us a new grit, a new passionate persistence in prayer? And, and before we turn that into a burden, listen, do, do we understand the silent truth behind God's, Paul's call to be devoted in prayer? The silent truth is that God 
loves my prayers. God loves your prayers. He really does. He does not begrudge your beseeching. He's not annoyed by your asking. He's pleased. He's pleased when you pray. You know, in fact, in, in, in one of my favorite prayer passages, God asks us to give him no rest from our prayers. Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7, he says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watch people all day and all night. They never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. Give him no rest until he answers. See, God is honored when we turn to him as the giver of every good gift. Our need turn to his resources is actually an act of worship. So a great question to ask as we close is, what does it look like? How do I know if I have it? What is prayer devotion? Well, being devoted to prayer doesn't mean that prayer is the only thing you ever do. Just like being devoted to a job or a cause or your spouse, being devoted to Lynn does not mean that all I ever do is hang out with Lynn. That wouldn't be good for Lynn. But if I'm devoted... There isn't much in my life that my devotion won't touch, right? It'll cause me to give myself to her in many different ways. It'll shape my decisions, shape my day, come to mind often. See, there is a practice of prayer that looks like devotion. And and that practice won't be the same for each of us. It won't be the same in every season. But it will be noticeably different from not being devoted to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul says, being watchful and thankful, being vigilant and grateful. Devote yourselves to asking me, God says, to transform your neighborhood and and bring life to your neighbors, being watchful and thankful. Look for what I'm doing and be grateful for what I'm doing in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your school. What does it mean to be watchful? It means we see what is. We, We don't look the other way. It means we look past the nice houses to see wounded hearts and broken marriages and depression and and attempt suicide. It means being fully aware of the fact that thousands of students this year will get drunk and do something that horrifies them when they find out the next day. It means walking downtown in our community at at one in the morning and asking God to give us eyes to see the deep, unsatisfied longings for community and meaning in life. It means being vigilant to look for people who've had enough And they're open to the love of Jesus shining through you. It means opening up our hearts to that sense of desperation. Not just that others feel, but that we should feel knowing that the need is far beyond our capacity. Being watchful and being thankful. See, here's the formula using different words. Desperation plus delight equals devotion. See, I think Paul is not just saying be thankful for what God has done. In fact, I think he goes beyond being thankful for what God can do. I think Paul is calling us to be thankful for what God is going to do. I think he's calling us to have faith that God not only loves our prayers, he loves to answer our prayers. And so what do we pray? Pray for us too, Paul says, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. God, I pray for myself. I pray for my family, my church. I pray for each and every person listening right now. God, would you give us a passionate persistence in prayer? Would you help us to be devoted to you in such a way that it causes us to be devoted to prayer? God, would you help us to develop a rhythm of 
breathing in the words of God, the words of life, and breathing out our prayers for more life, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. God, you've given us a mission and you've given us you've given us weapons to be successful in our mission, the weapon of prayer. God, I pray that we would see you answer our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.